my ultimate backup profession was going to be working at Blockbuster. I I thought if none of this computer mumbo jumbo worked out, then at the very least I could stock videos at the Blockbuster. Welcome to Working Code. And now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 83. And on today's show, we're going to discuss what we would have done if we weren't software developers. But first, as usual, we're going to start with our triumphs and fails. Carol has the nerve to be on a honeymoon. So slacker. we're just going to have to start without her. Crazy love struck kids. <laughs> yep. So Ben, I'm coming to you first. What's going on, man? Yeah, I'm going to kick it off with a fail yumpf, And that's a an undecided triumph or failure. I started refactoring a bunch of code at work. And uh, primarily what this entails is just moving things around the file system. We're on a very old Angular JS platform. And in the very, very early days, Angular JS, their docs actually recommended splitting up controllers, views, and directives all into separate folders. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is that to look at a very specific feature, you now have to go search for files in various places on the file system. That just makes it a, a huge pain, even with keyboard shortcuts for jumping to various files. So as I've been building new features, I've been co-locating all of the related files in the same directories and then trying to have a directory structure that more or less mirrors the visual hierarchy of the app itself so that you can think, oh, this is in the people section and then it's in the team detail section. And then the file system sort of reflects that as well. But that's for the new stuff. So I have a decade of really old, really poorly organized code. And I've started to shift around some of the files to be in, in the kind of more moderny formatted file system. And it's one of those things like you get eight or nine hours into refactoring stuff. And because it's all source control, it's not like I'm just harmlessly moving stuff around. Every time I move files around, it's a pull request that someone has to review and I have to try to keep it under, I don't want to overwhelm people with moving stuff around. So it has to be very incremental. And then I have to rename template paths to reflect the new folder paths that things are located at. It's non-trivial work. And I got like eight hours into it and I had started to have this panic where I'm like, is anything that I'm doing actually adding value? Because I've been able to maintain the application up until now. So it's not like this is a roadblock and I need to unblock myself. But I think there is an implicit value to having better organized code. But it's just, I don't know if I'm just wasting time. Like I know in the past we've talked about just the act of talking about doing something. There's like so much reward, self-reward about talking about it. You actually can like never actually do the thing. And I'm wondering if refactoring just makes me feel good because it feels like I'm doing something, but I don't actually know if it's going to make my life any better at all. So all this rambling to say triumph in the fact that I think cleaner code has value to it, but possible failure in that am I actually unlocking any value that wasn't there before in terms of future refactorings, future maintenance, Mm -hmm. or am I just sort of treading water and making myself feel better? Well, so Kent Beck, the guy who wrote the book on TDD, like literally, has this great saying that I really like that comes to mind here, which is first make the change easy, asterisk, 
then make the easy change. And then the asterisk is defined as this may not be easy. <laughs> right. So, yeah. but it rings true, right? So sometimes you have to like rearrange stuff, refactor in order to make an upcoming change easier, or maybe it's just going to make ongoing maintenance easier. That sort of thing. So if you're set yourself up for future successes, then there's value in that. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is that I have to lean into the idea that this is not going to be a fast refactoring, that there's mm-hmm. so much code that I, I can't, one, I can't stop everything that I'm doing and refactor the code until it's clean. That's just, it's not feasible. And two, I have to realize that it's just going to take a while and maybe I have to do it very incrementally. So instead of carving out large blocks of time to refactoring, maybe every day, one of the first things I do is spend half an hour refactoring one piece of the old code. And then if I look up in, in four months, Maybe I've refactored a tremendous amount of code that would have otherwise felt overwhelming if I had tried to do it all in one shot. Hmm. So I hate to ask this. I'm going to put on my management hat. Is this the code that's the legacy code that's going to be going away? (laughs) So, yeah. So (laughs) So so I'm going to the point of what's the point? If you're just doing it, if you're just doing it so it can be better maintained and you're not going to maintain it, you're just wasting time. Uh, I know. So, so that's the other thing that, that weighs into it, obviously. But I, the more, clean the code is, I think, the more likely I am to want to follow through with ideas for improving it because it'll be less painful to work with. Uh, I don't know if that's entirely true, but I feel like that's true. But to your point, I'm also having doubts about arbitrarily changing the code. I think maybe what I need to do is if I have an idea for an improvement in a specific area of the application, this is actually going right back to what Adam was saying, is maybe first that's the opportunity to clean up that Mm. particular piece of code. Then once it's in a cleaner state, I can apply some more improvements. But yeah, not just arbitrarily like shooting across the entire code base, trying to improve it, just like focus in on one particular area. And I think maybe that was the panic that I had after my day of refactoring, where it just felt like it was going to be overwhelming. There's so much to do. And I just need to do it piecemeal. And then I think maybe the missing ingredient there was that the piecemeal aspect should be, I want to do something else here. And the piecemeal part will be the prerequisite to, to clean up some code before I do the thing I actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's uh, having dirty, disgusting code is painful, emotionally painful. Yeah. I get it. Anyway, so that's what I got going on. Tim, what about you? I'm going to go with a triumph. So I talked last week how I, Delegate was it last week? I, you know, Carol was here, so I, maybe it was two weeks ago. How I was delegating all the fun parts of my job, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying. To, I'm finding a better balance there, uh, a balance in the force coding versus my management duties. So this week they dropped on me some strategic quarterly review stuff that I have to do. It's a new responsibility for me that I haven't had to do in the past. And so, so I'm going up to the next level of delivering information to people. I've been kind of dreading it. I knew this day would come, but I've been working on that this week. But at the same time, working on some interesting tech and some stuff that, that I'm actually excited about doing and managed not to, because normally in the past, I, I would just kind of focus on what I enjoyed and then kind of put off the other stuff. So I would, I'm block scheduling my time to say, all right, I'm at least spending an hour and a half at this time at early in the morning to deal with the, the strategic stuff that doesn't really grind my gears Boring and spread, spreadsheets and you know, PowerPoint presentations and stuff. 
And then after that, I can work on the fun stuff. So it's like I've been keeping a better balance. So I'm, I'm proud of myself for that. Don't know how long that'll last. <laughs> this is a good week. Last week, I had a few days where I just didn't feel like even getting out of bed. But uh, yeah, this week's been a lot better. So feeling good about that. Nice. Anyway, so so that's me. How about you, Adam? I'm going to go with the triumph, but it's going to start in a little bit of a dark place. <laughs> I, I, So I have depression. I take antidepressants for it. I had a day this week where my depression kind of kicked into high gear and I had some important meetings that day, so I couldn't really take off. But, you know, like, what am I? It was just one of those days where, like, I don't feel like doing anything. It's just everything pissed me off. And I, there were important things to do, but I just didn't feel like doing any of it. It would have been a bad day for there to be an emergency, but hey. Luckily, there wasn't. So what I did, what I ended up doing was I picked like the lowest priority thing on my to-do list. And I just did that, like meaning like the most menial, tedious, like boring, but it requires no mental effort task that I had available to me. It's just like, I'm just going to do this. And what it ended up being was like updating hundreds, if not thousands of SQL files and just making like small changes to them basically wrapping a transaction around two things that we were doing a lot like steps that would come after each other and making sure that they always were executed in a, in an atomic set mm-hmm. so if one failed then the other would fail with it and yeah man like and it took me a day and a half to go through that for all of the scripts that i needed to update Wait, and, but so it was a good way what, to get through it so you have like dot sql files laying around what yeah okay so i was it's not that i'm trying to hide it but i was trying not to get too into the weeds on this so it's again referencing this project that I've got where we're doing the queued file imports, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so the nightly ones. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so each file, it's not just import the file, there's more to it than that, right? So we have to create a new table, import the data into the table. You might have to massage it a little bit. You might have to update some lookups that reference that data and other things. And so the way that it works is that each step in that build process is a separate file. And some of those are SQL files, which would just like load off the disk and then send the contents of that to the database as a query. There are some also that are, in this case, JavaScript files that are, oh, so it loads the JavaScript file as a component, and like you would load any node module. And it contains, it exports a function called execute, which expects a few specific standardized arguments like the, a connection to the database and some helper functions for various things so that it can do a variety of different things that you can't do with just standard SQL where you might need to go fetch something from an API and and deal with it that way or sort of thing, something, that sort of thing. Anyway, so yeah, we have hundreds approaching probably thousands of these files. And like, it's funny because like the, the process is create a, if the table is called warehouse, it's warehouse underscore new, create warehouse underscore new, populate it, do all the things you need to do. And then the last two steps are delete warehouse and rename warehouse underscore new to warehouse so that you were just replacing it. Well, the thing that I was combining is delete and rename so that you never have like delete. And then for some reason, rename fails and you get get stuck in a position where you just don't have that table. And so I was wrapping that in a MySQL transaction. That seems like a good one to have in a transaction. Yeah. And it's, it was not difficult work, but it was a day and a half of like, I could probably sit here and list out all the keyboard strokes that I was doing because I was doing the same stuff over and over. It's like, okay, open these two files, copy from here, paste it over there and blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go through literally all the keyboard strokes, but I could tell you what they were to like move stuff around and paste from this level of my history. And That's really good though. I think the small tasks to keep the movement going, to yeah. keep the machinery firing, the blood pumping. I think there's a huge power in that. 
and, and being able to lean on that. I, I admire you for being open about it, about depression. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I only said, I saw in the show notes, you were going to talk about that. And that's the only mm-hmm. reason I mentioned last week that several days or a couple days there where I, I didn't even want to get out of bed. I, I don't think I suffer from depression, but there's just days where it's like, I, I can't, I, I just can't. Oh man. World right now is not helping either. Yeah. yeah. At least our country. Yeah, it's just so crazy right now. It's just it's like, what is the point sometimes? Are we just going to get in World War Three? And then, yeah. So I, I don't know if necessarily that was like foremost in my mind. It's just like, yeah. But being able to talk about it, I think it's important, especially men. I don't think men talk about, hey, man, I'm just, I'm a little depressed today, right? We're tough, mm-hmm. right? We, we want to be tough. We want to project strength. We don't want to look weak. So just to talk about it and normalize talking about it, I think it's important. So I appreciate that. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I will be the first one in line to tell people that there's nothing wrong with taking medication for things like depression and other mental health issues and seeing therapists. I've done a bunch of both of those things and it's made me a better person and better able to deal with my life and just to be a healthy, happy person. So I haven't, I've not been on, on, on like mood altering medication. So I can't speak to that obviously, but and you I, sound I, like you I, could I, use some antipsychotics. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I, and I hope this analogy doesn't trivialize anything because that's not my intent. But I had this thought the other day. So my wife recently turned me on to sunglasses. I'm, I haven't had sunglasses <laughs> my entire uh, life. You and said turn me like, on and I, that's not what I thought was following that, that, that phrase. <laughs> There's a pregnant pause there. <laughs> I, I have like real official prescription sunglasses with a good frame, you know, good lenses and polarized lenses and everything. Anyway, I'm sure I'm not telling most people here what they don't already know because they own sunglasses, <laughs> but it's it, it like, I could not get over how much more comfortable they made it to be outside. Like it didn't just change how I looked at things. Like it changed my whole physical demeanor outside. I felt more comfortable temperature wise. I felt better. And it's just like everything for me to be able to see. Anyway, I'm going somewhere with this. I promise. Wait, please tell me they're like, they're like Tom Cruise aviators. They're like Maui gyms or something. It's not a brand I'd ever heard of before. (laughs) Maui gym is kind of a big brand, but go ahead. Is it? Maybe that's not what it is. I don't even know. I don't even know. Your wife has good taste. Uh, It was, it's the optometrist help. Pick it up okay. for me. <laughs> Your optometrist has good taste. Okay. They're probably anyway, expensive. Going, That's why they wanted you to get them. I'm going somewhere with this. Mm. So I really enjoy having the sunglasses on outside, but they do make the colors just slightly less vibrant. Like I, I have a gray lenses. I don't know what that means exactly, but I walk outside and it's, I can see everything better. I function better. But there's like everything's slightly less intense, like it's less vibrant. The greens are less. It's greens almost as that. if it's filtering out some of the light to make it less intense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so and so, what I'll do sometimes is I just try to take them off. I'm like, oh, you know what? I want I want to be exposed to that like intense outside experience. It's not going to turn you off. into the Hulk. It's not gamma radiation, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I take them off, and I'm like, oh yeah, things are brighter, and then they're more vivid. But then I'm just eventually, like two minutes later, I'm like, yeah, but I'm squinting and I'm uncomfortable, mm-hmm. so I want to put my sunglasses on. Anyway, going back to mood-altering drugs, a lot of what I see in pop culture, and, and I don't know if this is representative of anything, uh, is like people will function much better on mood-altering drugs, but then they get to a point where they feel like they want to go off it because they're functioning well. And they were like, or they, you, you know, say mood altering like, drugs. It, it, we're not talking peyote. We're talking prescription <laughs> medication. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here. I just mean like something that, that is affecting how you experience the world is all I mean. That's 
to to the point you were making though, Tim. Like some people, if they're having like anxiety or whatever, CBD is a very valid. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah my yeah. daughter takes that like every day. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Ben. Anyway, you know what? The, the only thing is, like, it was an analogy that I suddenly felt like I could relate to on some level. A world maybe different from what other people are experiencing, but it's this idea that like you're cognizant of the fact that maybe. There's something just like something little missing or like something's a little different. Like your emotions are not as intense or like your highs and lows are like not as quite as high and low. And there's something that you can sort of miss about that, even though that you're functioning better with those things. And it's like, for me, like the sunglasses, I so like, it made sense all of a sudden to me that I function and I'm much more comfortable with the sunglasses on. So it sounds like, but every sounds now like you're trying to understand like these people that are bipolar, they're really good on the meds and they're like, oh, but I'm missing those highs. So they stop it and then their life falls apart. Is that kind of what you're um, referencing? I, I guess so. I mean, I don't know, bipolar, I don't even know if it has to be that degree of swing. I'm just saying, you know, like some people, I, I don't know, forget it. This is, uh, it's just, I felt like the sunglasses gave me insight into something that I had. Because like when I was younger and like my brother, I think, my brother's always been very hesitant. He's had a lot of anger issues, maybe. I don't know. He's got some mood issues. Mm-hmm. And I think he's always been very hesitant to go on anything because he didn't want that dampening effect. Yep. And when I was a kid, I couldn't understand that. I'm like, why would you not want to take something that would just make you better? Like, it seems I couldn't understand any hesitation. That's um, why I take steroids every day. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I only approached it from a very logical sense because I didn't have anything to relate to. But so, sorry, I know this is rambling and ridiculous, but the sunglasses gave me <laughs> that sort of like epiphany. Where I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, I get what you're saying now. <laughs> Well, oh, Ben. Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. I love you. <laughs> you you've had a life-altering experience due to, due to sunglasses. That's awesome. <laughs> Yo, I That's love awesome. my sunglasses. Yep. Okay, well, who wants to start? <laughs> if you couldn't be a coder right now, what would you do? Like, uh, there's a, there's so many different ways we could look at that. And that's why I thought this was a good question, a good way yeah. to, good topic. Yeah, I appreciate who, one of our patrons. Are. So that was from Brian Connor. Brian, yeah. So, Brian, thanks. That's Thank a good you, Brian. question. Because if you had asked me in high school, now I loved computers. I mean, you, if you listen to the origin stories episodes, I mean, 12, 13, 14, 15, I was all about the computers. That's all I did all the time was coding. And I was school's IT guy. But then I got, once I, I hit my growth spurt and I got taller and better looking, all of a sudden I was getting attention. <laughs> I did. I didn't want to be seen as a computer nerd anymore. I stopped so, looking like Gollum. So, I, I got into like the drama club and just the different like entertaining. I became very much an entertainer. I was voted the class clown. I mean, in in high school, I was if you'd asked me then, I was going to be on Saturday Night Live. And that was like a real goal of mine. I knew every line of every Saturday Night Live. This was one of the golden ages of SNL where we had Eddie Murphy on the show, Billy Crystal. I mean, every skip well, looking back. Some of the kids are some funny. of them age better than so, others. Yeah, some of them age better than others. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like I knew all the and there was a, a guy in school, Blair, and him and I would riff every day, like doing skits and like coming up with skits. So if you'd asked me when I was in high school, I would definitely would have been a comedian, a stand-up comedian. Were you like the class clown like disruptive wise? Uh, yes. Yeah. I <laughs> there if teachers so, hated you. Most teachers love me, but if I if a teacher bored me, I would because I usually knew the subject pretty well that the teacher was talking about. There was one teacher, she was a, a history teacher, 
And I was really into, I loved history. So I would read extra books. You know, so if I knew we were discussing this part of the, like the Roman empire, I would read like biographies of all these different like people and find like the most juicy, purient details about every <laughs> single emperor. And I would just lead her. I'd ask questions, feigning interest, and then lead it into a dirty joke. <laughs> <laughs> and so one, one day, one class, she just, she basically just threw the chalk to the ground and went out of the room crying after a joke I pulled. I mean, every the whole class just—I don't remember what the, I don't even remember what it was because I was doing it constantly to her because she just she wouldn't tell interesting facts about these people. Mm. And so I brought something up. She threw the chalk down, storms out, crying, and like like laughing so hard she's crying, sort of no, thing, or she just was upset, crying, frustrated, crying. She was angry, <laughs> okay. ang- she was angry, crying. Not she wasn't laughing because everyone yeah, yeah. was laughing at me, but they were also laughing at her. Mm. This joke was pointed at her, but anyway, so I went outside. Everyone looked at me like, Tim, what'd you do? I'm like, oh, so I went outside. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I just can't get through to you. You're so smart, (laughs) but you just don't. I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, sometimes, but most of the time I was a force for good, but (laughs) yeah, but sometimes it could be evil. You were voted class clown. I was voted uh, first to get married. (laughs) How'd that work out? It took a long time. <laughs> I finally got there. Now all your classmates can finally get married. Congratulations. <laughs> They've been waiting for you. Yeah. Like I was saying, there's a lot of different ways we could look at this. And I feel like the first one I want to throw out there is ice cream truck driver, which is what I say on any given day. I probably say it a hundred times a year now, you know, that like if something's really frustrating me, if I'm trying to figure out how to use some third party API and the documentation's garbage, and I'm just like, I chose this career path. I could have chosen anything, but I chose to come here and read your crappy documentation and be frustrated and lose my hair and grind my teeth at night because you can't write good technical documentation. And so I always say like, I could have been an ice cream man. You show up, you flip on the music, you drive around give the kids their ice cream and you go home. Could have been so much easier. And like, it's a joke, but also, is it? <laughs> There's some fancy ice cream trucks I see sometimes with like artisanal ice cream. So mm. it's, uh, you could really have some fun with it. Oh yeah, like food trucks can do anything anymore. It's like yeah. there's chicken and waffles trucks or... There's, I don't know. There's all kind. There was one I was trying to think of in Philly, but I, I don't eat the little cookie things that they make. So I don't know what they're called. When I was a kid... I was absolutely in love with movies. I watched as many movies as I could and I would go to the movies all the time and I would talk about movies with my friends and we would quote movies constantly. And I always thought it would be amazing to own a movie theater. Really? Uh, yeah. and, and I had all these fantasies about it being super plush, which uh, nowadays there's actually movie theaters that are kind of like what I had fantasized about where people would have these big plush recliners yeah. and food service. And like now you can actually go to movie theaters that have recliners yep. and food service. So in a way, I guess I was sort of a trendsetter, even though I wasn't actually demonstrating any of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even today, I still think it would be really fun to have a little movie theater and Put your own slant on it and, and make it quirky and decorative. And I don't know. I you guys are this. buying a house or in the process of it, right? Yes. Did you, I mean, it's your first house that you've owned. So obviously there's nowhere to go but up. But <laughs> did you by any chance find something that, and I know you're in New York too, so space is at a premium. But did you find something that where you can have like a, a movie room where you have like perfect seating and a big screen and good sound? I So there's a finished basement and I think mm-hmm. there might be some opportunity there. Nice. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So that could be that could be my future. Yeah, nice, a little, nice. A popcorn Do machine it. or something. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, that. Uh, so when we bought this house eleven years ago, it was a, a, a mostly unfinished, like used to be a garage, and it was turned into a mother-in-law suite. But it had a huge, this huge, giant, like rectangle room, like movie theater. So mm-hmm. yeah, I got the three D projector, the big screen on the wall, and we used it a lot starting out with. But it's like now we maybe use it like once a month it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. gotta be it's gotta be an experience right it's gotta be like a movie we really want to watch the whole family oh man i can't wait till top gun comes out on like if it's on their streaming or when you can finally get it on blu-ray or buy it from them or whatever like oh, it's gonna be that's gonna like just be so awesome i really enjoyed it in the theater i would more than happily pay another 20 bucks to go see it again and probably about the third time that i paid 20 bucks to go see it again my wife would smack me and say you can wait <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right yeah, 4K streaming. Oh, man. Good movie. Okay, cool. So another angle that I wanted to think about here is what if like the reason you can't be a coder is because the technology stuff just like doesn't exist, right? So there's no, there's it just doesn't exist as a job, not that you can't do it for whatever reason. What then? So this is an alternate universe. Yeah, I guess for- so. Like, uh, yeah. So you didn't even know it was ever an option. Well, I'll tell you. So. I went to school for computer science and I think like the summer of my junior year, like between junior and senior year in college, I had this sort of moment of panic where I thought that being inside in an office was just going to be absolutely terrible. And I had just been really starting to get into hiking and reading like Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods and looking at trail maps and stuff. And I had this idea that maybe what I should do with my life is become a parks department employee and like mm. maintain trails and like a park ranger. The, yeah. Yeah. Like being outside all day and hiking through the woods and fixing up campsites and helping people who are in trouble. It seemed super attractive. And I, and for a brief moment, I mean, this is maybe like a two, three week period. I thought I had made a terrible mistake going to school for computer science that passed. And I've since been extremely happy, but, but there was a brief period where I really thought it would have been awesome to be in the parks department communing with nature. It's funny. So I'm, so I'm thinking about my early life. I, yeah, after I made that pivot where I decided I didn't want to be a nerd, <laughs> I had this like, I was, I was a full nerd. And then I was like, no, I don't want to be a nerd anymore. I went totally like creative type. So like I, when I moved to Brooklyn, 1990, I was in Brooklyn for four years and had a band. I was trying to break through as a musician. I was a singer, trying to get into acting and really? stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it was a complete failure, and I couldn't afford living there. So I eventually had to move back. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of why I do the, the extra background work, just kind of like get that taste of what could have been. I could have been a contender. I just needed someone to give me a break. <laughs> you know, what was your band called? My band? Yeah, the Caesars. Okay, that's why you failed. Yeah, that's why we failed. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that history tie-in. So, yeah. But, yeah, we had different bands. It it was during the swing dance kind of phase. So, Mm. it was kind of a slight – it wasn't a full big band. We couldn't afford that. But, you know, it's kind of like the Harry Connick Jr. kind of of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. yep. Did not work at all. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, the whole reason that I went into computers in the first place, I mean, I guess it was – in part, just because I was kind of following in my dad's footsteps, but also a big part of the reason that I did like the full commit 
at an early age was he told me like computers are definitely going to just continue to grow and climb and be more and more important in everybody's lives. And this was like around the year 2000, if not a little bit earlier. And I mean, obviously he was right, but he had that foresight to be like, go and learn how to write software because there's going to be a ton of need for that and there will be a huge amount of money there. And that's why I went that way. And if I, if technology wasn't what it is now, if we're in this alternate universe, I think probably where I would have gotten that advice to go would have been doctor or lawyer, which Mm -hmm. I think are interesting things for me to consider because I love a good argument. (laughs) and i'm i'm willing to own the gray area when it comes to rules and stuff which is fine by me but the doctor thing like as it turns out there's no way i would have known this at that time but as it turns out i get really squeamish like looking at the inside of somebody's body me too (laughs) or my own i one of my medications that i have to take completely unrelated to mental health just physical health is is an injection that i give myself at home And the one that I'm on now is an auto injector, like an EpiPen sort of situation. But the one before that was just like, here's a syringe with some drugs in it, you know, stick yourself and do that. And I can't do that. I had my wife do that for me. You'd be a terrible heroin addict. Oh yeah, I would. Absolutely. As much as I, obviously being a doctor comes with a lot of benefits, like good money and lots of opportunities, but I would have had to have found a way to be a doctor that like doesn't have to cut people open, right? Like I could be like a (laughs) podiatrist or like a, a... Oh, there was like a halitosis doctor or something, (laughs) (laughs) which is bad breath if you don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like that's that was really why I committed was just like, this is a career path that's going to have lots of opportunities and good money in the future. And it was a good bet. But that that would be, I think, where I would have been pushed instead. Hmm. So if you would ask, so that's when I was younger. If you'd ask me kind of, let's say, like say halfway through my career, someone said, you got to stop computer stuff and do something Mm -hmm. else. What would you be? Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, I was a, I would say a farm to table chef, hmm. which teenage me would totally not buy because I was the pickiest eater. I mean, so picky. I was chicken nuggies and <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, not even potatoes, even like chicken nuggies and rice. I didn't even like potatoes. I mean, I was such a picky eater and now it's like I eat anything and everything and I love to garden and I have a big vegetable garden and herb garden. So yeah, it, my dream job, if you had stopped me like 10 years ago would be, I'm going to buy a plot of land and then maybe some place like outside Asheville, North Carolina near the Biltmore and have some farm. And then like I have a farm to table where you could like eat dinner in the middle of a vegetable garden. Yeah. And show that, yeah, that would totally, in fact, you would honestly, have- honestly, I'd still do that right now. If I quit right now, that's what I do. <laughs> You you would have a very strange farm, Tim, that would have like alligators and yep. like sheep testicles yep. and <laughs> duck testicles, <laughs> shark brains, and yep. who knows what else. But yeah, the, the name of the restaurant would be the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's great. Uh, I got to write so, that down. Yeah, right. Uh, so if, if for some reason that like I just had to stop. EMP takes out all the world. What are you laughing at? I'm laughing at Ben laughing at me. Okay. So yeah, like, like you were saying, if, if I had to stop right now, or if I got the opportunity to reevaluate and decided I didn't want to stay with computers anymore, what would I do? I hesitate to put one of my hobbies in here because part of me thinks that if I was going to do something else, I would try to like monetize one of my hobbies, like do some sort of pro woodworking, make and sell furniture, Mm. that sort of thing, or become like a professional skydiver. There's a bunch of different ways to do that, right? Like instructor or competitions and that sort of thing. 
And then uh, maybe the wild card answer for me is you've probably seen the videos where there's like a helicopter and it's dragging or there's underneath of it dangling is like a long pole with like 30 giant circular saws on it. And it's cutting the trees along the path where like the power lines cut through the woods. Mm -hmm. That looks like so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, The helicopter pilot with chainsaws. That's right. The most dangerous man in the room. Well, you talk about woodworking, and I have before said that I'm not a very handy person. And I think because of that, I've always had this fantasy that I hesitate to call it a backup career, but again, just a non computer oriented Mm -hmm. career would be some sort of like construction or general contracting. I feel so unfamiliar with the housing that I am in. I don't know what's in the walls. I'm terrified of wires. I'm terrified of cutting my fingers off. I'm just, I don't feel like I can do anything beyond assembling Ikea furniture. And to be someone who is trained to put up walls and patch drywall and paint properly and carve things. I don't know. I have such a, I'm so enamored with that because Mm -hmm. it feels so foreign to me. Yeah. I I mean, there's sort of two things there. There's the trades, right? Like building houses, building commercial buildings. And then there's, I guess, kind of the hint that I thought I was getting from you there, like carving is the thing that you said, but like making what we in the industry would call fine furniture, right? It's not Mm, just an Ikea thing. It's not just a built out of two by fours, but you know, nice wood and a lot of intention and thought goes into it. Yeah. Um, You know, I kind of like to ask the listeners of the show, like, I think a lot of people who work in tech, they sort of have sort of this backup kind of because we we build stuff, but it's all virtual, right? And a lot of the stuff we can't like show off to people or take a photo of what we did. It's like maybe a screenshot, but I mean, who cares about that? Mm-hmm. It's like they have like some sort of backup kind of endeavor as a hobby where they're like working with their hands. Like me, it's, it's gardening, and my family they do cosplay and and build physical stuff that you can actually touch. Mm-hmm. I just wonder, asking our listeners, what do you guys do? What is there? Do you have something you do to to make you feel like you're creating something tangible that's real in the world rather than the virtual stuff that we all build. Mm -hmm. So it was, this reminds me, there was an article that my boss, Steve saw on hacker news a couple of weeks ago. And it was like, why coders love woodworking or something like Mm -hmm. that. And it was all, it was a whole bunch of like similarities between the world of coding and the world of woodworking. Like, I don't remember what they were, but it was like communication, I think was one of them. And just like a bunch of different like ways that maybe not are immediately obvious that they're similar, but like when you really think about it, it's kind of flexing the same muscle or using that same part of your brain. Or actually maybe the, I think the article was like all the differences, right? The the things that you probably are immediately thinking of, right? I'm working with my hands. I don't have yep. to, I'm right. not sitting in a chair all day, blah, blah, blah. And then like one of the top comments in the Hacker News thread was like, I also love woodworking and I'm a coder, but you know, it's because of all the similarities, which I found really interesting, right? Like mm-hmm. some people love it for the reasons that it's different than coding. And some people love it for the reasons that are similar to coding. Yeah. Interesting. Kind of along the general contractor lines. And and this is a personal gripe that I would love a crack at counteracting, which is that we've done a little bit of home renovation. Like we had our bathroom revamped and we had a washer dryer put in our closet and paint and that kind of stuff. And in my experience, general contractors are absolutely terrible communicators <laughs> like as business owners they're just terrible communicators mm-hmm. so you know i'll show up on wednesday sometimes between 10 and 12 and then at 5 p.m you're like are you showing up today and they'll be like oh no one of our jobs got pushed we won't be able to make it today and you're like 
well, were you planning on letting us know? Like, right. And that's not an unusual experience. Like no. every contract we've ever worked with, it's just terrible. And it, it boggles the mind because they're in a service industry, essentially. And how is customer service not the thing that they use as a differentiator? And I feel like if you were a general contractor and your one point of messaging was, we will always communicate. Like, are we great contractors? We're average, but you know what? <laughs> we will call you and we will tell you what is going on. I feel like you would clean up maybe because there's such a need for that, <laughs> that just open communication. We're going to charge you double, but we're going to tell you all the time <laughs> that we're Show not coming. Time and we'll tell you when we're getting there. My ultimate backup profession was going to be working at Blockbuster. <laughs> I, thought, uh, <laughs> hate to tell you something. I, th- I thought if none of this computer mumbo jumbo worked out, then at the very least I could stock videos at the Blockbuster because I could get to watch movies and I get to talk to people about movies. But that obviously didn't, that's not going to pan out. When, uh, when I was in college, I had a roommate who was a video store manager. It was just like a smaller chain. It wasn't Blockbuster. And so I worked for him briefly just to pick up some extra income nights and weekends. And it was a fun job, but it yeah. was boring as hell. Yeah, I guess so. All right, cool. So this episode of Working Code was brought to you by sunglasses. They're a thing. Really? Yeah, in case you didn't know. And <laughs> listeners like you, if you're enjoying the show, you should consider supporting us on Patreon. It's the best way to help keep the show running. Your donations cover the cost of recording and editing out all of our burps and fumbling over our words like I was just doing. We couldn't do this every week without our patrons, so thank you. And special thanks, of course, to our top patrons, Monty and Gavin. Anybody have anything you want to tease for the after show? Ben, any other sunglass revelations? I'd be interested in talking about the value of a computer science education. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. And then that sounds like something we're going to have to bring back to the main show at some point here, too. But we can do the rough draft on the after show. There you go. Cool. So uh, your homework this week, I'm going to ask you to leave us a review. Go to workingcode.dev slash review. It should, if the algorithms are doing their jobs, take you to the Apple Podcasts review place for your country, I think, (laughs) if we've got this technology stuff figured out. As always, we could use your topics and questions to discuss on the show. You can send those to us at workingcodepod on Twitter or Instagram. You can email them to us at workingcodepod at gmail.com. You can record a voice memo with your phone and send that also to workingcodepod at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, your heart matters. Even if your sunglasses make the outdoors less intense, like filtering out the sunlight like sunglasses are supposed to do. (laughs) They're amazing. I literally, like once a week, I'll tell my (laughs) wife, I'm like, oh man, these sunglasses are great. Thank you so much. (laughs) I I almost, unless it's like dark and rainy out, I do not go outside without sunglasses. Like that's where I am right now. I like it's gotten to the point now where I think that my eyes have become so dependent on them, right? Everything is just too bright, like literally too bright. It hurts my eyes to go outside <laughs> just on during the daytime without sunglasses. It's so intense. <laughs> You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. I hesitate to, to put one of my hobbies in here because, you know, it's it's such a double-sided coin or uh, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, double-edged sword. Yeah, I was going to say that, but then double-ended sword came to mind and that went somewhere else that I didn't want to go. <laughs> 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it gets you on both ends. Yeah. God. <laughs>